got your Bibles today, uh, pull those out. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, verse 5. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. The title of this morning's message is Faith and Duty. Faith and Duty. Um, it's part of our Words in Red series. We're going to go into the next several weeks. Actually, it's going to take us all the way through Christmas. Uh, talking about faith and duty. And we're going to look at some of the most difficult, I believe, some of the most difficult parables to swallow. Uh, and even today, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached on this passage. I've been in church my whole life. I can't recollect a sermon preached on this because it is difficult sometimes to swallow uh, some of the radical things that Jesus Christ is speaking and His words in red. And He is leading us to the cross with Him. He is on the road. And this is some of the things that He would be speaking on His way to do uh, in, the, in the faith journey that He's called us to and on His way to do His duty on the cross. And He's saying uh, some radical things to us and to His to disciples. And so we're titling this Faith and Duty, uh, and this is just the beginning. And we're, so we're looking forward to what God's got going on this week. But let's pray. Father God, we thank You so very much. We love You immensely. God, we thank You for dying on the cross for us. God, we thank You for the cross, for the blood. We thank You for the Holy Spirit. God, we thank You for the gospel call Lord, that we have uh, access, Lord, into Your throne. God, we thank You, God, that we have everlasting hope and joy and peace. God, that there is a place reserved for us in eternity with You. God, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart, God, for Your own possession. And so, Father, we want to declare publicly today there is an excellent God who's got excellent things prepared for us in Jesus' name. Somebody said, Amen. Amen. How many people, show of hands, like having responsibility and obligations? One, two, three crazy people in this entire church, right? Uh, uh, responsibilities and obligations. You know, that's the beauty of childhood, right? You don't have a care. You don't know why the lights are on, why there's food on the table. It's just magic, right? Mom and dad, uh, they just got it there for you. That's one of the pros of being a kid, almost no responsibility. But you know what? As you get older, you get more ability. And with more ability comes more responsibility, right? Ability to responsibility, right? You get old enough to carry that trash out to the garbage. Mom and Dad's probably going to make you every week or every night take that trash out to the garbage. You get old enough to drive. Okay, there's that ability. Well, comes what? Responsibility. You got to pay for that car. You got to pay for that gas. You know, all of this stuff is as we mature, we see more responsibility is given because we have more ability. You know, and that's the same way it is uh, with a Christian. But you know what? Come, one of the things that come, what, what happens, parents, when your kid starts trying to figure out this new responsibility? You get those excuses, right? Uh, here, hey, take out the church. I'm tired. I didn't. I got my homework. You know, all these things you told your parents. How many people have ever had to uh, beg your child or bribe your child to do something, right? Yeah, my child's two, and we're already doing it. You know, here, if, if you want to watch this show, you have to eat the carrot, or, you know, like you have to put those things out there. Sweet talk your kids into doing something. But you know, uh, those accolades and those praises, you know, hey, they, hey, yay, you made your bed for the first time, or yay, you did the dishes, or yay, you cleaned up after yourself, or yay, you got that gold star, or that A+. But how many parents, when's the last time somebody praised you for doing your own dishes? Come on now. 
taking out your own trash, mowing your yard. Hey, even feeding your children. No, ain't nobody coming to your house to give you a gold star and say, hey, congratulations, you did what you're supposed to. We're going to talk about that today because, you know, that same idea is in Scripture. That same idea is in Scripture. Uh, there's a, an author, he wrote, he said, Middle age is that difficult period between adolescence and retirement when you have to take care of yourself. It's that difficult period where you have to take care of yourself. And likewise, we are called as Christians to grow up in the faith and fulfill the responsibilities that come with it. We're called to grow up in the faith and fulfill the responsibilities that come with it. God has given you great abilities, and with that great ability has come responsibility. And we're talking about that today. Hold your place in Luke 17. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles 23, verse 8. It's on the screen for you today. 1 Chronicles 23, 28. Sorry, 23, 28, 1 Chronicles. Uh, faithful duty. Faithfully doing your duty. Faithfully fulfilling the responsibility God has called you with. Great ability He's given to you. Great responsibility is required. And uh, 1 Chronicles, we're talking about the Levites here. And the Levites, it says, under the supervision of the priests, the Levites watched over the tabernacle. That's the thing that happened before the temple. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was uh, in Moses' day, right? And the kings. And it says, in the temple, and faithfully carried out their duties of service at the house of the Lord. The Levites faithfully carried out their duties. Faithfully carried out their duties of service at God's house. You see, they were faithful. Go back in history. The Levites, they were called and chosen because they stood with Moses, God's servant, and they stood on behalf of God. They stood to serve God when nobody else did. They faithfully followed God when all the other tribes fell away and, and bowed down to the golden calf, right? And they, they stood up and they followed uh, the will of God and the kingdom of God and they put God first in faith believing God had great things for them in the promised land. And so they had faith, all right? And that's that faith part. But they also had uh, a duty that came with it. When they got called, they were called and set aside. Levites gave up all of their possessions and property. They had no inheritance except for working in God's house and giving all they had to the Lord. And the Lord would provide all of their needs. There's a special people, special people in Israel. They gave much sacrifice, but they gained so much. And with this duty, it said this, that they had to serve as priests. Now, there was a special group of priests within the Levites, but all of them were considered priests unto the Lord. It means ministers of God, ministering to the people and ministering to God Himself. They, would, um, uh, they were the only ones that could carry the ark. They were the only ones that could purify the temple. They were the only ones that could bake uh, that, that holy bread and set it before the Lord, uh, um, helped the priests make the burnt offerings. And they just they over, uh, looked over the treasuries, the temples, the foyers. The, they cleaned the bathrooms at God's house. I mean, they did everything, okay? And they ministered to God and to people as a faithful duty. Every single Levite had a job. It could have been cooking. It could have been preparing. It could have been singing. They sang twice a day to the Lord. And uh, the Bible says that even in some of these, there were some that were skilled men, like musicians. Every musician uh, could play multiple instruments, and they could prophesy to God. There were uh, valiant men who were called gatekeepers, and they guarded the temple and the treasuries. That was what they were gifted with, big old guys. And so God put them as gatekeepers. 
And they guarded it. There was other men who were called capable men, and some of these guys became officers. They oversaw the buildings, the administration, the money. They planned things out and oversaw the temple. Uh, And even the king would elect some of them to oversee parts of his uh, uh, kingdom. And so all of this, it says, and they faithfully carried out their duties. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, says, Today for you and I. What does this have to do with you and I? Today, it says that you are, New Testament Christian, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see this? Today, before we even begin, you and I have to understand that God has always been searching for a kingdom of priests. He's always been searching for people who said, they're going to sell out to all that I have. In the faith of their hearts, they're going to give me everything. And I'm going to elect them as ministers, ministers to me and ministers to this world. And they're going to faithfully fulfill their duties and lead the world to me. A priest leads people to God. And every single New Testament Christian... Every single person in this room, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you are a priest of God. You are a royal priesthood called to this earth to minister to God and minister to this world and do your faithful duty to His house. And let's look at this today. Luke chapter 17. God has gifted you today, New Testament Christian, to faithfully serve God and others with your specific Ability. With your ability comes great responsibility. Luke 17, verse 5. This is called the parable of the unprofitable servant. This is Jesus. Now, Jesus knows this. This is God's plan. We're all supposed to be Levites. And he gives this passage uh, to us today. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. If you there, say amen. Amen. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you have faith, had faith like a mustard seed. You would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you having a slave now, now he changes gears, which of you having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he's coming from the field, come immediately sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, this slave, prepare something for me to eat? And then properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And then afterward, you may come and eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things things which were commanded, does he? No. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say this. We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. We are unworthy slaves. We're only doing what we should have been doing in the first place. We're only doing what we ought to, what we should do for you, our serve, our our master. We're servants of the king. And what is your response to God today when he tells you to do something difficult? I look at this passage and I think, this is a a rough one. This is a rough one. He's saying, do you tell that servant? Now, none of us have servants. I don't believe in this place. But do you tell, you, you're, you're a master, you own land, you own sheep and cattle, and your servants are out there in the field, and they're working for you. They're putting your sheep to, to, to range, and they're shearing them, and their cattle you're being fed, and they're making your grain, and they're doing all of that stuff. And then they work from sun up to sundown, and sundown comes, and you go sit at your table, servants come in. 
Well, what does a servant do? Does he sit at your table and wait for you to feed him? No. Your servant, after working all that long day, goes in, changes his work clothes into the house clothes, cleans himself up, washes his face, and then he goes and prepares to serve his master. And then after he serves his master, he'll eat himself. How does this look for the Christian today? How does this look for you and I today? Because what's my response when God tells me to do something difficult? How do I think about my work uh, for the Lord, my ministry to God? And do I expect special treatment from God for obeying Him? Am I looking for praise from God or am I praising Him? Am I looking for praise from God or am I praising Him? Sometimes, we're going to talk today, sometimes we cry out for more faith when Jesus is saying, all you really need is to grow what you have. Sometimes we cry out for more faith when all we really need is obedience. Sometimes we cry out for more faith when all we really need is obedience. We're going to break this out today. Grow your faith. Give me faith, they said. Give me faith. Jesus taught His disciples, and the background of this is, man, they were on this journey, this radical call of discipleship. And, and, and we probably don't even have a clue, many today, what this really looked like and what experience for them to, to come and to follow Christ. We, we, we uh, pale in comparison to the things that they had to do and give up. And these guys have followed Christ. They, man, they've seen Him uh, uh, raise the dead, walk on water. They've left their homes, their families, their kids, their wives, and followed Him. For these many, these several years, right? And then they've noticed something. His sayings keep getting harder. Keep getting harder. He's like saying things like, all right, guys, they're going to persecute you. But you know what? Turn the other cheek. Well, for a guy like Peter, that's kind of hard to do, you know? Uh, and he's saying, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Even those pagans, even those people who, who are vile creatures, you've got to love them like, you, like yourself and, and turn the other cheek and love them. And you guess what? Anytime somebody stabs you in the back, 70 times 7, every 7 times a day, they're cursing you and stabbing you, and they come and repent 7 times. Guess what? You've got to forgive them. And, okay, and he's going on. He's like, now, now will you carry your cross and follow me? And and they're getting to this place. And they're like, I know, I'm pretty sure he's the Messiah. And he's leading us. I don't understand all this guy is always saying, but I'm willing to follow him and listen. And it got to this point where they were like, oh my gosh, I'm going to need some more faith. Because, yeah, I get all this, I got this far, but I don't know if I can do all that stuff. I want to follow you. I want to see power fall. I want to see signs, demons cast out. Lord, I want to give you my life. Lord, yeah, I'm ready to go to missions. But you said... Turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor as yourself. Seventy times seven. I'm, I'm going to need a little bit more help. How many ever said that before? God, I don't know if I can love this person like you really want me to. Right? I think you're going to give me a little bit something to get through this. Right? I need a little bit more faith. You know, I don't think it was wrong for them to ask. But I look at Jesus' response this morning, and it astounds me of what he said. Let's look. He says, uh, give me faith, they said. Turn the other cheek. And so they're ready to call Need more faith. And he says, no, grow your faith. No, grow your faith. Look at this. He says repeatedly, this is not the first time he's used this mustard seed illustration. 
some things, Jesus, like a pastor, they just won't stop on a point. Jesus sometimes, he just brings up the same parables over and over and over again. He brings up this mustard seed thing again. He says, there's this tiny seed that grows into a huge tree. And if you only had faith like that little seed that grows into a huge tree, you could move mountainous obstacles, things that block your path, things that hinder the work of the kingdom. They could be moved out of the way if you just that had that kind of faith. You see, Jesus desired that they had faith. Jesus desires today that you have more faith. He desires that I have more faith, that we have more faith together. But the answer is not, hear me, the answer is not in Him just giving us all the easy way out and saying, God, I can't do it. Do do it for me. He's saying, I've given you something. If you just had this little bitty measure of faith, I will do mighty things through you. You'll see mighty things. But you know what? That seed does not stay a seed. It starts to grow. It starts to grow. Break this out this morning. Number one, he's saying this. If you have faith in God's saving grace, a childlike faith, you will see great things. You see, they didn't need more faith. They just need saving faith. Saving faith is that childlike faith. It's that little bitty beginning where it's just enough to say, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, despising the shame, for the glory set before Him. He took that cross. He atoned for my sin. He is the Son of God, and He's coming back. If you can believe that, church, you can see great and mighty things. You don't need more faith than that. You don't need more faith to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons than just saying, Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of this world. He's the only way to heaven. He's the way, the truth, the life. No man come to the Father but by Him. I believe that. I profess it. It's my life. That's all the faith in this world you need. That's that childlike, simple faith. I trust God with my eternity. And he says, if you have a childlike, saving, simple, easy, little faith, you can see me do mighty things in your life. You've given your will, your way to me. And my life, your life is in my hands. I'm going to do mighty things to you. All you got to do is believe it and call it out to me. I'm walking with you. As you walk in my will, I'm walking right beside you. And that's that saving faith. Nothing is impossible with God. All things are possible to him that can believe. You know, it's not about you and I. It's about him. It's not about, well, I've been this, I'm in status 10 Christian. Well, I'm a status 8. I'm a status 11. You know, no, you don't need more. You just need to do something with what God has already given. That child can see the lame walk. That children over there in kids' church can see demons cast out. They have simple saving faith. They can move mountains. That's God's child. He's not looking for you to work out your levels here. Just, he's saying simple saving faith. You'll see great things. But here's the thing, number two. If you have childlike faith, it should be maturing. That seed matures into something else. It sprouts up, and then that, that sprout matures into a little sapling, and that sapling matures into a big tree, and that big tree matures into a tree that produces something. And if we have simple childlike faith, he's saying, you began with me on this journey. You believed me to give me your life. You said I could be your all in all. You chose me as the Messiah. Now begin to grow it with me. I don't need to just start giving you all the things. I've already, it's already in there. It's packaged. All that is packaged in that little bitty seed. Isn't that amazing? That little bitty seed contains the, the, the plans, the blueprints for that huge oak tree, that little acorn. Has it all in there. It's like God squished it up, packed it in. And it's, it's in the right place at the right time, watered with the Holy Spirit, planted in good soil. God will do the growth. It's all there. Right? You don't need more. 
right? You have one oak, you have one little acorn, you will have thousands of acorns later, right? Amen. And he's saying, you don't need me to give you a bunch more acorns. Start producing them. Start doing something with what I've already given you. It's all packed inside of you. You know those plans God has for your life? They're already in you. Those things God wants to do for you, it's already there. Those gifts of the Holy Spirit, you mean, I wish I could do that, God. I wish I could. It's already inside of you. Now he's saying, now let it mature. Let him start growing it. And so they're asking for more, and he's saying, guys, no, I've already done it. You know, everything Jesus Christ ever had to do, he did on the cross. There's no more power up in heaven waiting to be coming down on you. It's already been given. Revival's here, by the way. You know, uh, the lost, we want them to come in. God's already said it. It's already done. It is finished, I think was his last words, right? It's done. He's given it all to his church. And so if you've got childlike faith, it should be maturing. It should be a tiny but growing powerfully kind of seed. It should be something that's planted in the kingdom of God, that seed of faith. That's where it grows, in the kingdom of God. And number three, if your childlike faith is maturing... You got that childlike faith. And if it's maturing, he says, so should your ministry to God. Am I ministering more to God now than I did several years ago? Think about it. If my faith is maturing, my ministry is maturing. Is my ministry increasing to the Lord? I hope that when I'm 80 years old, my ministry will be greater to the Lord. Not to, not, I'm not talking about a better name and my face is on a billboard. I'm talking about that my ministry to the Lord, my heart to the Lord, the Lord's will in my life, that I glorify the Lord more then than now. That as I've increased in my faith in God, if I've been, if I've, if I, as I have been walking with God, that I will begin to minister more in His kingdom. That it's not a get saved, sit on a bench mentality. It's a God... I'm, at, I'm walking with you. I'm growing with you. And I'm maturing in you. And God, I'm producing more every day, every year, every decade in you. God, I want to be more fruitful now than I was. And he's saying, if your childlike faith is maturing, so should your ministry to God. You know, we're justified by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His gracious work alone, that work saves us. But it's that living faith that produces a powerful work in our life. And so we've got to grow a fruitful faith through the grace of God. And that's a teaching that he's been teaching. We preached on this a few weeks ago. This is a teaching that he keeps bringing up. Church, we've got to understand this. You've got to understand, I want you to grow what I've given to you. It's a simple faith, a saving faith, not a greater faith that he needs. And so we plant it in the gospel. Now let's look it on. What is he saying here with this passage? He sw- switches gears. I told you about the mustard seed before. I'm going to bring it back up again, just in case you didn't get it. I had a pastor one time, uh, Beth and I were growing up. He preached on John chapter 15, the vine. I lost track of the Sundays that we preached on John chapter 15. You know what the Lord told him? He said, until they get it, don't stop preaching it. I think it was like six weeks on the one chapter. And sometimes that's the way we have to be. He's saying, guys... I need you to get this. I need you to get this. Grow that faith. And then he says, be selfless. Be selfless. You know, um, we're a country of a, of a lot of self-esteem issues. <laughs> uh, you, you, man, you talk about self-esteem issues everywhere. Everybody's got a self-esteem issue, image issue. Uh, you know, everybody likes to be praised for the work. There's, uh, 
you hear it criticized all the time. We're like the gold star decade. Everybody gets a gold star. Everybody gets a trophy, right? You know, a recent study showed that 30% of college students scored as narcissistic uh, as compared to 19% in just the, in, in the, in the 80s. So it went from 19% of self-absorbed people, college students. Now, if you have any college students, this number is probably higher to you, right? 30% scored, nar- that means a person who can't, they can't get over themselves. They like to look at their reflection all the time. Right? Okay? That's what narcissism means. Somebody likes to look at their reflection. It's, it's that heart of it. Right? Self-absorbed. We are a self-esteem-focused people. Sometimes people can't even function without the praise of others. I've, I've met people before. It's like if you don't praise them, everything they do, they won't ever do it. Or they'll fall apart. And they, or they'll do something. It's like, I did this. Anybody see this? I'm doing something over here. Somebody look at me, right? Anybody met people like that? All right, okay. It's getting quiet in here. (laughs) Do I need the praise of God to do what he's already commanded me to do? Do I need the praise of God to do what he's already commanded me to do? That's what he's saying here. He's saying, leave the attaboys. That's that vain glory. He's saying that no servant expects that his master should say to him, hey, you've worked hard all day in the field. Now come eat with me. No servant comes in from work, though they still serve his master his food before eating himself. You know what? The king and his kingdom comes before my needs. That's what he's saying. The king and his kingdom comes before us, the church. The king and his kingdom comes before us, his servants. That God's needs comes before my needs. That God's house comes before my house. That his kingdom comes before my kingdom. That a true faithful follower who wants to do his duty to his king says, I am here, Lord, to serve you. I don't care if I've worked all day long. I'm still going to save up time to pray in the evening. God, I don't care if I've worked all day long. I'm still deserving time at the end of the evening to make sure I minister to you. God, I know I've been busy all week long. God, I'm going to be faithful to be in your house on Sunday. Woo! Hallelujah. And praise it. I'm putting the king and his kingdom first. God, I know I'm busy. God, I know I've got things I do. i got all these plans, these games, these activities, these clubs, these things. But God, I'm going to be faithful to serve you. God, what do you want me to do? God, how can I serve you? God, how can I feed your table? God, do you need anything else? You need an extra pitcher of iced tea, God? Do you need something else done, God? Is the temperature okay, God? That he is saying, I am looking for faithful followers who are willing to serve my interests, my kingdom, my house, my church, my people. And we have to leave the attaboys and recognize, number two, that God does not owe us. God does not owe us anything. Romans eleven thirty five 35 says that who has given God so much that he needs to pay it back? You know, everything that we could ever do in this world is not even noteworthy compared to God. I don't care if you're the most famous person in the world, you've got the record-breaking album, you have done nothing noteworthy compared to the Almighty God who made the heavens and the earth, spoke them into existence with his very breath, can move mountains and seas and oceans, who can squish a nation with his own fist. You can't do anything noteworthy to God, and you, he don't owe you nothing. He doesn't owe us anything. And so we look to that and say, God, I know you do not serve me. God, I serve you. 
Romans 12.3 says, For the grace given to me, I say, No one should think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think is to have sound judgment. God has allotted you a measure of faith. You know, Matthew Henry said, he said, If we realize all the power of God that's been put inside of us, that's been given to us, and how often we fail to properly use it, it would truly humble us. It's like that acorn. All the things that God's packed inside of you, the potential that He wants to see you live up to, and the power of the Holy Spirit through your life. He said, if we could understand what God could do through us, it would humble us. It would humble us. Be selfless. He says, we are unworthy slaves. We've only done that which we ought to have done. We've got to grow up. Hebrews 6.1 And verse 9 says, Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and press on to maturity. He says simply this. He says, let's forget about, uh, let's live out those basic doctrines and get off this faith roller coaster where we're up with God, down with God, in with God, out with God. He says, let's get beyond that church and let's move on to the better things that accompany, that follow salvation. You got the acorn, now let's do something with it. You've got the faith in God. Now let's do something with it. Let's begin to do our duty to serve God and others like He's called us to. Let's be obedient. Let's be priests of the Most High. Let's be faithful people who do to see great and mighty things. Great, you know, acorn's not going to do much sitting on your shelf. But when we plant it into God's kingdom, we say, God, water it with your Holy Spirit. God, let your sun shine on it. God, let it grow by the power that you've designed it to grow by. And then we say, God, I'm here to serve you. God, I'm here to do my faithful duty to you. How mature of a Christian am I? How am I growing in my duty to Christ? You know, it's a journey that we're on today. God is, is God here to serve me? Or am I here to serve God? Did I show up today to be served by God and to get my blessing from God? Or am I here to bless God? You see, America, this this new age Christianity stuff that we've seen in the modern movement of the church, it's all backwards. Worship, serve us. That's what they say. Worship, serve us. See how you say it? Worship, serve us. I'm going to the worship, serve us. Service. No, I am here. I'm going to church on Sunday to serve my God. God, I'm, I'm going to bless my God. He don't have to do anything else for me. I don't care if He never blesses me again. He's done something for me that I can't ever repay. Right? That old song, He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. Do your duty. That's what Jesus is saying to His disciples. Man, God loves you. God has a plan for you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your Savior. But He also wants to be your Master. Do your duty. And this is what He said. Uh, there's a story about a little lady named Aunt Effie. Uh, she was, uh, attended the First Baptist Church in a little town in Iowa for 88 years. And she was born in 1888, and since that time, she did not miss a single Christmas or Easter service. During that time, 15 different pastors came in and out of her church. Over her life of service, she listened to 8,000 sermons, attended more than 4,000 prayer meetings, said over 29,000 bedtime prayers. And this little old lady taught Sunday school for 50 years. 50 years, and now several of her students are in full-time ministry. Is that not faithful service? Faithful dedication to the house of the Lord, to the ministry of God's kingdom. And it wasn't anything that any made any headlines. 
But at the end of their life, the Lord would say to that woman, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done all that I've required, all that I told you to do. You've done your duty faithfully to me. And so, what, think about it this way. What if Noah did not complete the ark in time? What if he gave up? What if Moses gave up on making the promised land? What if Solomon got tired of building the temple that God had called him to? What if Paul didn't press forward to Rome? And what if you don't do all that Christ has called you to do? You see, we have a duty today, church. It's an obligation, it's a responsibility, it's a commitment, it's a mission. It's a task that we've been entrusted to, to faithfully serve our God. What is due Christ? What is due Christ? These servants worked all day and still did their duty to wait on their master. You know, he's called us to love others, to forgive others, and to lead others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We have a duty. I think about it. Turn with me in, in 1 Kings chapter 4. Think about this, just this analogy. Solomon was a king. We know that we serve the king of kings. But 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 7, Solomon had 12 deputies over all of Israel who provided for the king and his household. Each man had to provide for one month in the year. In verse 27, And those deputies provided for King Solomon and all who came to the king's table, each in his month. And they left nothing lacking. The Lord spoke that to me uh, about a year ago. I just now found out where, when He wanted me to speak it. God calls some men to serve His kingdom. He said, I've called you for this day, for this time, for this perfect purpose and this ability. And listen to this. Every king, every person in Solomon's service, these deputies knew their place. Each one performed their own duty. And the court was kept without confusion. It was so large, the kingdom of God, that no man could manage it just by himself. Hallelujah. It required many hands... In many places. Each person had to have an interest in growing it. These servants of Solomon wanted his house to be furnished well. So they bought the very best and furnished it very well. They wanted his estate to grow with great care. And so they attended it with great care and honor. And they desired his kingdom to grow. They desired his wealth to increase and to reach the corners of the earth. My question for myself and us today is if these are men, and this was a man who was king... And they served him so well with such faithfulness and with such responsibility and commitment and such duty. How much more should I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords? They left nothing lacking in God's house. They left nothing lacking in God's kingdom. They didn't just say, God, here's my my meager 10%. They said, God, and I'm not talking about money this morning. They are saying, God, I'm all in. God, I want the very best for your house God, I want the very best for your people. God, I want the very best for your mission field. God, I want the very best for your children and children's church, for your youth and youth ministry, for your worship team, for your your people, for the person sitting next to the pew from me. God, I want your very best for them. God, I want your very best for the lost. It says they they minister not only to the king and the, the kingdom, but to everyone who is invited into his house. 
How many people is God inviting in? He's, the Bible says that He's calling, going to the highways and the hedges, compelling people to come in. And every single person that came into the house of the king, they said, I'm going to give them my very best. We have a faithful responsibility. We have a faithful duty to serve every single person that is, God is calling into His church. To say, God, I want the very best for that person. God, I'm going to love them. God, I'm going to forgive them. God, I'm going to turn the other cheek to them. God, I'm going to give them all that I have. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to bear with them in weeping. I'm going to bear with them in laughing and joy. God, I'm going to pray for them. God, I want to give all that I have. God, it's not just 10% of my finances that you have. God, you have all of it. God, it's not just one part of my heart that you have. God, you have all of it. And Lord, even though I'm tired and I'm worn out and I'm working for you, God, I'm going to reserve just a little best, a little bit more. You know, it's like how in your, your gas tank, you get down to empty and you find out where that line is. How much more, really? You try to push it. It's like, I, I need to get to that gas station. I got 50 more miles. That light came on, right? It's kind of like that. God, even though I'm tired, these servants worked with their master day in, day out. And at the very end, even when they're the most tired, they say, I'm going to still give you my very best. What am I reserving for God? What am I holding back from? I have a duty to my Lord to worship Him with all of my heart all of my soul, all of my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. It is my faithful responsibility to minister to God and this world, leaving nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. Paul heard of the Thessalonians, and he said in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, I think of you constantly, of your work of faith and your labor of love. We need to finish well, church. Before the day is over, before the night has come, before the Lord has called us home, Paul told his church in Galatia, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. While we have this opportunity, do good to all people, especially those in the household of faith. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come back? Faith and duty. I want you to remember today that our King has already served us. He's already done the work for us. Before we ever thought about serving Him, He served us. And I'm not waiting on any more praise from God. I'm not looking for an attaboy from God. I just want to say, God, I want to faithfully serve Your house. God, I don't want to leave anything lacking. I want your kingdom to have the very best of my life. And all that you have given me, God, I'm not asking for more faith, more blessings, God. I'm not asking for more love, more peace. God, I know you've already put it in me when I got saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, that simple saving faith. Now, God, you just want to let it grow to maturity. God, you just want me to unpackage it and let it out and say, God, I submit to your will. God, I humble myself. I want to be your servant. I want to serve your house with gladness. And God, I don't need anything else from you. I just want to glorify you. That's the heart that God desires from us. That's the heart He'll bless. You see, we're working now, but we know that there is a great reward up in heaven for every faithful servant of God. But I'm not working for a reward. I'm working because my God has already rewarded me by saving me. By dying on the cross for me. Father God, we thank you today. Lord, I pray for every person in this place. God, that we'd shut our minds to every distraction in this moment. God, 
Lord, not looking around and not, not focusing on anything but God, you. Just you. Just like those servants. They worked for you and they served you faithfully with nothing lacking, their very best. Jesus, hallelujah, Lord God. Some of you today, you may have felt impressed. Some of you have thought you know, several times that he's talking about money. You know what? That might be because God's really convicting you about how much you've given to him and allowed ownership of your finances. Some of you today have been feeling conviction or hearing the way I speak and you're thinking about forgiving others or loving others. There might be people in your life that God is convicting you to say, I need you to let that go. Give me all of that. Some of you today have felt convicted or maybe hearing me talk about service and getting involved in your church. And maybe that's because God's drawing you. And that's what He's trying to tell you. I need you to let that go. Let me unpack that in your life and grow that area of service. See, we're all at different places in our walk with God, but it's not levels. It's just, God, I want to grow in maturity. I don't need anything else, God. But I know that when you begin to work and you begin to let God do things in your life, His strength, His peace, His love, His patience, His joy, all the things that you need is already there. It's already been provided for. It's right there for the taking. And instead of standing still and saying, God, give me, give me, give me more, He says, let's go. Let's do this. Grow with me. Walk with me. Let's move on to maturity to do your duty to minister to God and to minister to others as priests of the Most High, faithful servants with nothing lacking. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I don't have peace with God. I want to know Him. Because you know what? I don't know where you are in your life. No one's too far gone. He loved you before you ever... You can't earn anything in His love. It's not a duty that earns anything. It's not your works that earn anything. That it's, that it's through our works we're perfected in that faith. But it's simply that saving faith. That simple childlike faith that says Jesus is the Son of God. And I give my life for Him. I surrender. I repent of all my sin. And I choose Him to be my Savior, my friend, but also my Master. That's all you need. He'll give you everything you need after that point. But that is the only thing that saves you. No works. No, it doesn't matter what you wear, what you look like. All of that comes later. Those are the better things. Those are the, the growing areas. But it's simply a saving childlike faith. And who Jesus Christ says He is that saves you. If you're here today and you say, that's me, I need to confess that in my life. Jesus may have been my friend and, and I wanted Him to be my Savior, but I've never submitted to Him to be my master, to give Him ownership of my completeness, my complete life, to surrender all and truly repent and turn away from my sin. I need to recommit or I need to do that for the first time today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you before we move on to the next call of prayer. But... Real quick, most important thing you could ever do, that God loves you so very much. He died for you. He did the work for you. Hallelujah. One more moment, just to be clear. Hallelujah, Lord God. Jesus. Amen. For the rest of us who've confessed Christ, how's your acorn growing? How's your mustard seed growing? Are you doing your faithful duty with nothing lacking. I want you to examine your heart real quick, and every single person is going to get a, separate, a different response from the Holy Spirit. You're going to be 
no doubt convicted in one way or the other, and he's going to say, I need this. This is the next step in my journey with me. Lord, you know every heart. I pray you'd search our hearts and minds, God. What are we lacking in giving to you? God, that we'd plant that seed and let it grow, and that faith to mature to move mountains, and that our ministry would be increasing as our faith is increasing, O God. To faithfully serve you, to do what we ought to have done. If you're here today, and you say, God, and not even want to have a show of hands, you say, God, I know I'm supposed to be serving your house. God, you've put gifts in me, whether it be gifts of preaching, whether it be gifts of speaking, maybe you've got a gift of worship or ministry, maybe you've got a gift that's serving the poor, the homeless, the needy, maybe it's a gift of generosity or prayer. I don't know what it is. God has got thousands of gifts. But you know that you're not doing what you should be doing. And that you want to have more faith in God, but you've been kind of compromising on giving the, the works, the duty, the service part. And that's just right now between you. I just want you to repent and ask God, God, please forgive me of this. God, I want to serve you more. God, I want to do my faithful duty, nothing lacking. Maybe there's some here today, and maybe it is a financial situation. We don't put a number here at Sanctuary, but God has told you how much you should give to His kingdom. It's His church. It's His. It doesn't go to me. Doesn't go, I don't get any more money because you pay more in the offering. It goes all to missions. It goes all to the ministries of the church. God has required of you a certain amount. I don't know what it is, and I don't care. It could be very little. But that's because He's saying, I want to grow you. I want you to just trust me. I want you to just trust me. And maybe for someone else, you've not trusted God with that forgiveness, or maybe you've not trusted Him with that love or that patience or, or that, that test of faith that you've been going through. You've been trying to have that control and, and do it yourself. And He says,